The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer from Wind City Gridiron, and I'm joined by the man, EJ Snyder. We've got a really fun show tonight. I've got a special drink that I think you'll really like, uh, but how you doing? I'm doing great. I actually have a matching uh, so drink excited. to accompany the player. It very rarely happens like that for me, and this is actually a complete and total accident, but when I realized this morning because i'd been at the store last night and i was not thinking about this and i just picked up some stuff and then i came home and i was like oh oh (laughs) i can make a connection so i'm excited we're going to talk about a couple of young players that are hopefully going to be important to the bears moving forward they are certainly players that have garnered a lot of attention some for good some for bad early in the season so as we do here on bears over beers we're going to focus on those players and break them down and we're excited about that so it's going to be a good show yeah, so every week it seems like so I watch the game in real time and then I'll go back and I'll watch the condensed version and that will prep me for uh, Bear and Balance with Lester. And then a little later in the week, I'll watch the All-22 tape and I'll focus on one player. So I have to watch this game three times. This was a little different because I was in the stadium watching the game from the 10-yard line. Um, again, first row is very cool. It's a very cool experience. I recommend it if you can do something like that once in your life. Um, you know, maybe treat yourself. Going to the Bears is a little more expensive because they're the Bears and there's just, you know, no seats. Uh, but, you know, if you choose a Thursday night game against a bad football team, that does bring the price down a little bit relative to if you tried to go to like a Packers game on a Sunday afternoon, right? But I digress. It was a really cool experience uh, to be there. But what was what I found interesting was I saw the game from one very different perspective, being in the stadium and watching it from my seat. And when I would go back and I'd watch the game, either in the condensed version so that I can you know watch it quickly and prep for the show or watching in the all 22. So you get different angles. You, you see a lot of different things. And I was seeing things being there that I can't see at home which I think is really cool. You can see the defensive backfield a lot better. You can, you can see kind of the movement and the games um, being played. You can watch receiver route formations and patterns a little bit better than you can when you're watching from home. <clears throat> so there's a lot of cool stuff to be at the game. And I know a lot of you go to games or you, you, you know, you go to a lot of games, um, but it is 
a really cool perspective every once in a while to actually try to get to a Bears game so that you can see these guys live. You can see the energy. I didn't mention this in the uh, Bear and Balance show, but I actually thought the Bears team lacked a lot of energy. They, they kind of looked a little flat. Now, that could have just been a Thursday game. Could have been a lot of reasons, but I didn't actually see them come out with a ton of energy, and, and they just kind of felt grumpy the whole game. Like, there was just no real, like, you know, positive vibe or anything. It just felt a little bit like annoyance, like just kind of a general annoyance. That's kind of how they played. Yeah, I can't disagree with your comments about being in a stadium um, having already been in a few this year in completely different both places in the country, but also places within the stadium. Um, so saw a game at SoFi and we were basically jacked up against the rafters. We were like six or 10 rows from the top of the stadium. We were way up there, but we were almost dead on the 50 yard line. So it was like watching little mini all 22. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty interesting because we were right there. And so you could see everything it was really small, but it, you could see everything playing out. You talk about routes and patterns and all that. So you could see all that um, detail. You could just look up to the big video board and see that uh, if you needed to see, you know, who got the carrier or whatever else. Um, the When I went to DKR, which is the stadium in Austin, Texas, home stadium for the Longhorns. Uh, again, we were we were quite a ways up, uh, a little bit more of an angle, but a similar viewing experience and then the next day we were in at&t for bengals cowboys and we were way down near the field closer to where you were on the rail um right on the 40 yard line about 20 rows up you know close enough to to see and hear the bengals sideline um and that's something that you get you hear the coaches interacting with the players not when it's roaring but in in quieter moments you can literally hear them when they huddle players together uh, you can certainly hear the quarterback's calls. You can hear some of the defenders calling out plays. It, it's a very um, – you can't see the line play as well from that low an angle, right? A lot right. of stuff right. mushed together. In, in So you lose some things, but you gain other things, and you can get a sense of energy, frustration, um, you know, immediacy if, they, if they're if they really, you know, under the gun to get something done. They, yeah, that comes through from that close, and it's, re- it's really cool. Um, but it is different, and in terms of an overall – experience i think you get a much better experience at home if you're really interested in like flow of the game and who made plays and all we're just so used to all the extraneous information whether it's from the announcers or in replay or with diagrams like a lot of that stuff's been added and it makes the viewing experience really good at home and you get a great sense of that when you're live you get like a third of that and you get these little spike moments of clarity or extra information which are really cool but in terms of like what happened overall, you you do miss a lot and you got to go back and watch condensed or whatever else. But it's still game day is a game day is an experience. You you go for the experience. Yeah, it was one of those where I was back watching like, oh, OK, that's what happened. Like, you know, yeah. like oh, I didn't really see that, you know, and like yeah. and mentally I was like, I, I'm curious what's going to happen there when I, when I go back and watch the film. So it's just been an interesting week and uh, it's been a busy week and for me, uh, but busy couple of weeks and honestly busy football season so far, particularly busy for me personally, professionally, everything going on. I've got some projects that uh, kind of coalescing at once. And so I thought, what am I going to drink tonight? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is kind of like the last, tomorrow will be kind of busy, but it won't be as busy as today. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to my friend EJ. EJ is a man that likes an Irish coffee. Yes, he does. So I'm drinking an Irish coffee and I made my Irish coffee with, uh, Little red breast twelve. Ooh. Okay. 
so that's that's my whiskey. And then uh, nice. Not just, not just any creamer, but let's uh, let's throw some uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon cream in there. Wow. So that's, that's what I've got tonight. Little, that's like an Irish little coffee. Irish coffee. Little so Irish Kentucky coffee. Yeah, that's 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 a whole different level right there. I I had a little black barrel uh, in my coffee this morning, one of my coffees this morning, because after I'd taken the kids to school and I was like, all right, I'm going to fire up all 22 tape. And I was like, hey, I'm going to ask the boss if I can have an Irish coffee. Hey, boss. Yeah. <laughs> you want an Irish coffee? I do. Cool. We should pour us one. Uh, so I did a um, little one. But yeah, it's it, it's delicious. But I I just had regular uh, like oat milk in mine not super fired up kentucky bourbon cream which is way better um what about now, you now you i'm got jealous a themed, you got a I, themed beer. I, I do so i was at the store last night which is why i have the black barrel because i was out and i was like i need to get some fall and their fall beer selections were in and i ran across uh a beer that as soon as i saw it i said ah, i gotta get six of those because uh, i have a friend who is uh very attached to the brewery because he spent some time in New Orleans. So he loves Abita beers. And I too like Abita beers. And I very rarely see this one from them. Um, and it is their brown ale. And because I'm reviewing Kyler Gordon tonight. And Kyler Gordon played at the University of Washington. Okay. So he was a dog. And he's fast. And Abita's brown. And you'll love the bottle art. Is called Turbo Dog. Turbo Dog. Turbo Dog Brown Ale uh, from Abita Brewing in New Orleans. So we've got Kyler Gordon. We've got Turbo Dog, which is a very good brown ale. I've had it before, but not for a while with some great bottle arch, couple of eyes on the black label. Um, very excited for this stuff. Feels like fall five, six by volume. So real drinkable, caramely, all the things that you like in a, in a brown ale. Um, so actually... A bottle and i have my opener for once so we're gonna do this we haven't done this in a bit there we go yeah no bottle opening for me tonight uh so i've got a coin because we flip coins pictured rocks oh. quarter i don't know what i used last time but it's, God, it's here, so good so i haven't had any in a long time so it's it's just a perfect match for for what we're doing tonight good and that's a cool that would be a cool nickname for somebody Oh, for sure. Right? Like, that would be Everybody cool. Yeah. All right. So heads or tails, call it? Heads. It is heads. I break the streak You're by on. going away from tails. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, uh, I'm i going to make you go first. Okay. You're going you're gonna to get all the busy out of the way first, and we'll save the, the DB talk for the back end of the show, just like the back end of the defense. Perfect. So we're, we're breaking down Kyler Gordon and Larry Borum tonight. I've got Larry Borum. Now, why in the world would I want to talk about Larry Borum? Well, we haven't talked about him yet. That's one thing. We'd like to talk about all these guys at least once or twice this year. So I'm taking the plunge into, into Larry. There's been a few weeks that I my, my instinct said stay away from Larry. Now, it didn't look like on first viewing that it was maybe the best game for him. I wanted to stay away. One thing that I was intrigued was with, with him this week was that Bears offensive line had a bad game. That was a bad game. Justin Fields under a lot of pressure. Justin Fields maybe creating a little bit of his own pressure, but really just from from start to finish, uh, that Washington defensive front gave him gave the offensive line a lot of trouble. Not particularly surprising because that's a very good defensive front. There's a lot of really good players on there. We knew that going in, especially their interior players. That was going to be a key to the game. 
Um, but how did how did Larry Borum do? Uh, Lester mentioned that he went back and graded him. He wanted to take a look at him. He he gave him a grade on on Baron Balance, and I was like intrigued. I was intrigued because I thought, okay, that's not bad. Um, but I also kind of wanted to go back and see if I did a grade independent of Lester's notes, what would I be able to come up with in terms of my evaluation and how far off would that be? Lester and I have never sat down and graded film together. I don't know exactly what he's looking for, what he considers a, a minus play, but you know, I have my opinion of what I think is a play that deserves a minus. And so I wanted to see if we'd come close. Now, caveat up front, I did not have a chance to review all four quarters of this. I got basically to the Dante Pettis touchdown. That's what, that's where I got through. Um, but what I did do was I had one additional negative for Larry Borum's score than Lester had for the entire game. So either I'm a much more difficult grader or I'm looking at something a little different. So that's kind of the first thing just to kind of give you guys a sense of what I saw versus maybe what Lester saw. There's probably, you know, Lester's been doing that a lot, lot longer. Um, I'm trying to use his system so that we have some sort of consistency when we both do something like this. But overall, just say that I had a little bit of a lower opinion of what I saw on film. So what did I see? Well, actually, let me ask, let me ask you this before I get into it. Before you, you haven't done this on, on Larry Borm yet. I mean, you've watched. Mm, not officially. Okay. But you've not, you've a, not in this game and, for sure. But not I, like, you know, gone yeah. through and, and, and graded him the whole time. What's, what's your kind of quick evaluation of what you feel Larry Borm is right now and what he is to this team into the future? Uh, what he is right now is inconsistent. And I've seen a lot of other folks talking about Larry Borum this year, even PFF this week came out and said he had a great pass grade versus the commanders. And I was like, uh, cause again, I hadn't gone he back. Actually and watched, did. <laughs> I, I hadn't gone back and watched the L 22. So I said, Oh, that's okay. But certainly the week that I looked at Khalil Herbert, you are watching Larry Borum as well, because you are checking out, um, the line and I had focused on Borum and Mustafer during my entire Khalil Herbert thing. I watched every run play from the end zone angle of all 22. And I looked specifically at Borum and Mustafer and I came away largely unimpressed. There was a lot of, a lot of reps that he didn't have that were great in that game. Um, his pass blocking is better than his run blocking. He is athletic. He is not particularly stout. He can get in front of people, but he does not, for the most part, move people either in the run game or the pass game. And I think he is a talented and developing young player who would be best suited to be sitting behind a veteran right now and learning as a swing tackle. I think he's an ideal swing tackle. I think he's better in the pass game than he is in the run game right now. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, I feel like we've sort of hit the tipping point where that inconsistency is affecting the offense enough that I would like to see what Riley reef has. And I kind of wonder if reef is not like injured or wildly underperforming. You never know what's going on with a guy, but at this point I'm like, why is Riley reef not better for this offense than Larry Borman? Again, I'm not in the room. I don't know, but that's, that's kind of my take on it from what I've seen so far. Okay. I agree with everything that everything you just said as a pass pro defender, 
pretty solid. Like, and and what I what I see him winning with is his frame. So I, I don't mean that in like he's uh, he's st- I don't mean that as in he's stout. I mean that as in he has a very wide frame, and he has a very quick reaction off the ball, which is not always common with a right tackle. So he gets out of his stance quickly, and he has a big frame. So if somebody is going to try to run around him, they are really in a in a bad place because because of that quick first step and because of that wide frame they have a really long way to go around the outside so he actually does a pretty good job of nullifying any kind of rush like that and and you see a lot of defensive ends they'll come off the ball they'll realize pretty quick that borum's already beat them to the to the point and they just kind of give up on the rep and I've watched Borum before, not graded a whole game before, but like I've watched him before, and that's how I notice he wins. Like he wins with the quickness and the big frame that doesn't allow people to get around him. So there, that's something to start with. That's not a bad trait. Okay. Like you say, he's not stout. He's he's a large human being. Like I just said, he's a very wide framed person. He also has a lot of weight. And he's done a very good job since he's become a pro to take off a lot of the college weight that he had. And, and remold himself, reshape himself into a professional athlete that can play a full game and, and be out there. Um, but he, he hasn't figured out how to anchor down very well because he does have a susceptibility when those speed rushers convert into power. So he just, he gets, he doesn't anchor quite well enough for how big he is, how much, how much he weighs. You would expect him to be able to do that just because of mass, Right. But it, it's it's kind of an optical illusion because even though he's so big, he gets pushed back pretty easily and that allows him to collapse the pocket. So that brings me to a point where this idea of pass rush win rate and or pass block win rate, uh. you know, depending on which side of it, right? So we've been having all these debates, uh, you know, on Twitter, all this analytics stuff. And there's guys that are, they, they, you know, they view football like baseball and I don't like that. But this this tool, this idea of pass block win rate appears to be something that is microchipped in to the shoulder pads. And there's something about if you keep a, a, a distance between you and the defender for longer than two and a half seconds, that's considered a win in a pass block. That's how I, that's how I understand it. That's how Lester explained it to me. Well, if you're getting pushed back and dumped into the quarterback's lap as a, as a tackle, that's not a win. That is not a win in, in pass pro. So I, I think that part of the stats that you're seeing may be a reflect a, a poor reflection of what you know the, this stat is trying to do. He may be staying in front of his guy, but that he's getting driven right back into Justin Fields and that impacts the pass, right? So he has some pieces of his game in the pass pro that are pretty good. Uh that's a, that's a really good thing to be wide frame, to be able to get out of your stance quick. It's not so good that you're not anchoring well. So that's something he's going to need to really work on and improve. You'd hope to have seen a little bit more improvement at this point um, because he is, you know, into that second year, but, but that's something to continue to work on. I had, I, again, overall, I think that his, his pass pro is better. I had, I think three negatives that I graded as, as pass pro, um, one of them, I think he, he was the one that went downfield on, so he got a penalty. You gotta, you gotta give a, 
Got to yeah, get negative on that. I, I didn't just, like that play. We were live streaming on bootleg. Well, I didn't like the play, play either, but you got And I was like, oh, I le- well, I wanted the result, but I was like, I know what that is. And I was like, <laughs> I think I even said on the air, I bet it's for him because he is athletic and he's, he can stretch the play. But you got to know, like you said, as a, as a now not rookie offensive tackle, you've got to feel that rope. Right. It's it's yep. like the clock in the back of a quarterback's head. Hey, I've been standing here too long. There's probably a rusher behind me. Like there's a thing with a tackle. I've been going too long. I don't have a ball carrier behind me yet. I, I got to hold up. And he didn't he didn't hit it. It was a big, big play in terms of reversing that play. Uh, I've got to play 749 in the first quarter uh, left that I have a negative, but I don't have a note. So apologies on that. Uh, a little later on in the game. 1206 in the second quarter i had to give him a negative because he he just goes down like i mean his man doesn't really make an influence of the play but he he basically gets into, gets into his stance the guy gives him a forearm and he's on his butt and i'm just like i'm i'm sorry i gotta give you a negative if you're falling on your butt at the the least amount of uh, a push from a defender i don't know if somebody stepped on it i couldn't tell if it was something weird it just looked like he was just not set up in a good base not an isolated incident okay i, I only saw having it time but i was like no i mean you're from a, this game it may be an isolated incident but from it's previous games i sent you one i sent you all one for mm-hmm. and i said hey for everybody that says larry borum's great take a look at this rep and he like stumbles out of his stance on run pro and basically just falls like falls between two guys just and i'm like Look, he could have got stepped on, but it didn't look like he did. It looked like he just sort of shot out. There was nobody there, and he went, oops, bam. And that was it. Play was over for him. So I've seen it a couple of times where, again, you're like, why did you not keep your feet? And it's not really clear that somebody overpowered him or torqued him off his feet or anything else. It's just like, huh, you're on the ground again. Okay. Again, I like Larry Borum. I don't want this to sound like no. I'm piling on. I am picking out some of the negatives on the pass play just because I think the the rest of the pass pro reps looked pretty good, and they and they were uh, of that variety that I talked about. The other one I'll just mention: he got beat by an inside move. Uh, you know, the guy takes a stab outside and then does a swim move back in. And he got beat by it, but Tevin Jenkins is there, uh, you know, as as cover, so you didn't probably notice it you know, because it didn't lead to a pressure. So it was one of those situations where because of the the group that was rushing and, and how they picked it up and pass bro, it was fine. Right. Like, I mean, it, it didn't, it didn't impact Justin Fields, but again, that kind of speaks to that. He, he, he is susceptible to those, to those counter moves, right. You know, I I'm, I'm focusing on those power counter moves that drive into his chest and kind of back him up and he doesn't anchor quite well enough, but he is maybe a little susceptible because he gets out quick um, and if somebody can kind of fake him to take that next step, he's leaning one way and then they pop, they, they have a speed move, like a spin move or a swim move in this, in this instance that can get him back inside. And again, as an offensive lineman, you don't want to create those rushing lanes for a defender, particularly where it's a shorter distance. You would prefer to keep them going on the outside and just take them out of the pocket. So if he, you know, he has to make sure that he doesn't get too much weight on that right foot and get fooled by that second step in speed because you've done such a good job of getting out of your stance and getting to that point where you're sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pass pro in my chair, which is not, <laughs> not ideal, but you, you know, you get to that, you get to that point. If you take that other step and you're leaning and then that guy hits the swim move on you, 
then you know you have to be able to recover quickly or you know you're going to give up a pressure he got a little lucky that jenkins was there to pick it up but um that was uh that was another thing i noticed but overall like i think you're actually pretty happy with the pass pro with larry Bourne, and, and at least in this game and i think in other games what i've seen is they actually put a lot more on him i only saw them chip once with cole Komet in this play in this game mm-hmm. there, he doesn't get a lot of help um yeah. and so whereas when i watch braxton jones the degree of difficulty in the pass pro was pretty low for Braxton Jones. They rolled the pocket away from him. There would be a lot of chip help either from the running back or the tight end. You didn't get that with Larry Borum, right? Mm-hmm. So they're actually asking him to do quite a lot in the pass pro. Most teams that's going to be flipped, right? Most teams you're going to have to help your right tackle because he's not as good in pass pro, but he's a really good run blocker. That's not Larry Borum. He's not really that good in the run game. I, I, I kept dinging him in the run game because he very he does not he does he's not driving anybody off the ball yeah. right and and a lot of times i think traditionally we think of those right tackles as the guys that are going to be road graders they're going to come off the ball and they're going to move their man off they're bigger they're stronger and that's what they're there for is they're going to open up lanes you're going to have a lot of your run plays on the right side that is a lot of traditional football is that your left side is a little better pass pro then your right side's better at run blocking you're going to run a lot behind your right side of your offensive line. Very few runs were to the right side of this offensive line. At least in this game, I would love to see it broken down over the year because I was like, oh my God, they're running away from him again. They're running away from him again. So now you've got this offense where Braxton Jones is a pretty good run blocker and they're running behind Braxton Jones and they were running behind uh, Cody Whitehair when he was in there and they're passing away they're like moving the pocket and rolling away from braxton jones because they don't quite trust him enough in pass pro but they do feel pretty good about larry borum in pass pro but they don't like running behind him so now they're putting a ton of tendencies on tape right that's this is that's the big picture here is that because you're you're starting these guys that have these strengths and weaknesses now you're kind of showing your hand before you even get off the bus and that you're probably going to have a lot more of your runs going to the left side, and you're probably going to roll out away from your left tackle who you don't trust quite yet. Um, I mean, (laughs) every defensive coordinator has figured that out. Like this is not, I'm not revealing anything that these guys don't know. And so that's, that's really the take home message. When you scout these guys, it's like you see what they do pretty well, but you also see where they're weak. And I'm just, I'm just shocked that there's that they're not running behind the right side at least a little bit. This game it was just like nothing. They barely went behind him and when they did, they kind of regretted it because he, he can't move the guy off the ball uh, off the point. This man is almost always going to control him. So he's going to have if you so if you're going to watch the tape, the defender is going to get off the ball and it, when he engages with the Borum, he's going to extend and he's going to have control because he's going to have extended out and, Borum, and so there's this big space. It's like a middle school dance where they've left enough room for 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 Jesus and a, and a balloon, right? Like that. That's what it looks like. Is there <laughs> Jesus and a balloon? I don't know. And <laughs> and there's so so he's got like he's he's extended out. The defend, defensive lineman's got his arms extended out. That's what he wants to do because he can then see where the ball's going and he can then like chuck his his guy aside and he can make the play. You see that a lot, right? When the play side is relevant for Borum. When it's not, you know, it's it's just kind of this, well, I'm I'm not play side and oh, I'm just kind of, you know. And where this came into play 
I, most notably to me, was he flows with the play on the big Khalil Herbert run. He doesn't touch a soul, <laughs> but he runs over to the side of where the, the ball to the left side. He's kind of he's kind of jogging over. He's kind of waving to the crowd. He's kind of you know, and then Herbert cuts back and he and he takes this like huge gain. And Borum still just doesn't do anything. Where that I, I'm sorry, man, that's a negative to me. Like you, you gotta be looking for somebody to hit because you never know when these plays get extended. Someone that he was next to that he could have put a block on could have made that play on Herbert, and he would have had a six-yard gain instead of a whatever it was, right? Instead of this huge giant game-breaking game gain. So there's a little bit of lollygagging, a little bit of loafing in the run game. And I, and even if you're backside, I still think you got to try to pick up your guy. It just didn't seem like there was a lot of it. Like you said, he's an athletic guy, but I just wasn't seeing it to the point where I wasn't worried about if I'm a defender, I'm not worried about Larry Warham in the run game. No, that's, and, and that's, that's kind of the basic scouting report right now is that, yeah, he's pretty good in pass pro. He just can't run behind him. My, I don't know what more there is to say. Yeah, my problem with that, it, it was really interesting to to listen to you sort of break out strength and weaknesses based on position because a lot of times we talk about these guys in a vacuum. And as you well know, offensive line is not a vacuum. It's the opposite, right? It is a unit. It has to work together. And you've talked previously on this show about um, not wanting to create spaces or allow spaces to be created between you and the guy next to you that the defense can exploit. And one of the issues when you're not looking at these guys um, in a vacuum, but rather looking at them in concert is the guy next to Borum can run block his ass off. Yes. And so you get in run plays, these ready-made gaps for people to shoot, whether it's linebackers or three techs or whatever. Tevin fires off the ball, gets a hold of his guy and starts mangling, him, pushes him three yards deep. Borum stands up and is in the way and he is engaged. And now you have this space where Tevin is out there and Borum is not. And hungry three techs are like, oh, whoosh, I can backside this and make the play because Tevin's pushing his, you know, maybe he got the he's up to the linebacker or maybe he takes the one T and the three T is off to the right of him, you know gets across the face of the center and he's got this huge gap now because Tevin's pushing his guy. And if, if Tevin was matched up with the right tackle that was also pushing his guy, even only a yard, there wouldn't be this space there, but there is because the center's okay in the run game. Not great. <laughs> so you get this inconsistency. It's like pistons firing at the wrong times and you get these spaces that they pull into the line and the defense can exploit. And you see that on some of those runs. Now, sometimes it works great. Sometimes it creates this cutback lane for a guy like Khalil Herbert. Sometimes they get snuffed out because, you know, the line has essentially kind of torn itself apart and it doesn't, it's not, it's not showing a unified front here. And the defense is knows that that's very likely, I guess, to occur with the right tackle that wherever he engages his guy is pretty much where he's going to be um in the run game and that's something that they can absolutely game plan around that they can work around like you said you're not 
revealing any secrets here. Anybody watching the tape goes, okay, this guy's moving people. This guy can't move. He's basically a post. This guy, you know, he's he's hit and miss at center. And then left guard's been a revolving door, so we don't exactly know what we're going to get there. And then this guy at left tackle, he can run block like a beast. His pass pro is inconsistent, and here's the ways that you can exploit him right now. Um, so they're going to have that. But whenever the line is performing in very different ways across plays, you're creating opportunities for a defense to screw up the play if the offense doesn't do it itself. Bill Belichick is going to show you all of the ways that this is not working. You know who's going to show you? You know who's going to be the big red indicator? Like you could paint him red for the day and it would just be like, oh, what are they doing against the run game? You know who's going to do that? Kyle Duggar. Right. Kyle Duggar is going to just eat versus the Bears because Kyle Duggar is really, really good uh, around the line of scrimmage and he's super powerful. He can take on offensive linemen one on one, does so regularly in the Patriots scheme and wins. Uh, he's he's gonna have a field day. He he he's gotta be so excited because he's he's gonna have a lot of fun. I would also, if I was if I was trying to attack this offensive line, you mentioned Jenkins. Uh, I would take advantage of that aggressiveness in the pass game because he gets himself out of position in pass pro. He will overrun. He, he will overset. Yep. <laughs> yep. So there's a lot to take advantage of here. I, you know, I was hoping there would be a little bit more gelling. Um, I think that the Pat, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick, I, not the... We could just cut it off right there. The off the Bears offensive line. I was hoping there would be more gelling. I know. Like, I know. There it is for everybody. Yep. I just, mm-hmm. I just wanted there to be a little bit more stability and all that stuff having the thumb with Patrick. uh, Yeah. It's created a lot of problems that are troubling to this team. And I think troubling at a base level. And I've said that multiple times over multiple platforms over now, multiple weeks is that you can say whatever you want about what the chip says about pass rush win, win rate. You can talk about the times that Justin has had a clean pocket and has run himself out of it or made the wrong decision. Yes. Those, those things do exist. Like they're not, uh, but you can't talk about any of that stuff without talking about the offensive line and its function or really lack thereof. Most, mostly throughout this season. Um, there've been times when it works, even in this game. There were times when it worked, but it's not consistent and you can't tell when it's going to work and when it's not. And if you don't have that trust, you know, this is a former offensive lineman. If you don't have that trust that, hey, I'm going to get this and that guy's going to be there or that guy's going to win his block or that guy's going to make that push or open that hole or give me the two seconds I need to throw this flare pass. Like if you don't know when you get zero protection, you kind of don't have protection ever. And that is the the bedrock issue with this offense and it's not going to get any better until that gets better. Like it has to start there. All right. So that's, that's Larry Borum. Again, I like Larry Borum. I don't like just picking out the bad stuff. I'm trying to tell you that there's a lot of stuff that you can like, but there's, there's enough to make me feel like we were probably right in our initial evaluation to say, this guy's a really good swing tackle. This uh, prospect, like this is a guy that, could really benefit for, from some veteran leadership in front of him. Um, he's playing his butt off, all that stuff. We like him, but again, there's definitely some flaws in his game. 
and some things that he can work on. So we'll leave uh, we'll leave Borum there, and then after the break, EJ is going to break down Kyler Gordon. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, EJ. Backyard kid, right? Went to went to yep. Washington. You, you you saw him, you know, up close and personal uh, in your own backyard. So you were very excited when the Bears took Kyler Gordon. Let's hear you break him down, man. Yeah, I'm excited for this, uh, not only because of that familiarity and the fact that I did like him pre-draft and then when the Bears grabbed him, I was excited about that, but also that he's had some really notable stumbles through the early season. He's taken a lot of flack. And that's not surprising for rookie corners, but it's been pretty loud. And some of that comes from Kyler Gordon himself. He's had not great games up to this point. Again, flash plays, but some real inconsistency. And, you know, look, playing corners like playing goalie. When you miss, people score. And, you know, people are going to see that. Uh, but I I believe in his ability, and I really wanted to see that start to get unlocked. And I feel like this week was the week that we got to see that. And that's that's really fun. So I wanted to talk about him not only because I liked him, but also because he struggled and say, hey, what are some of the good things this week provided that? So the overall summary on Gordon drafted in the second round out of Washington. Uh, he was the oh, I put 11th overall. That's not right. Uh, that's not correct. Anyway, second round. Part of the reason that Gordon gets trouble is because he was picked highly by a team that needed offensive help and they picked a defender and that has nothing to do with him. Like that's not his choice. Like he, he plays a position he plays and they said, this is worthwhile. It's one of the reasons that he's received so much scrutiny in the early season. Um, and he's just going to have to deal with that. That's just a thing. Um, he is five eleven and a half, just about six foot one ninety four. His relative athletic score, 9.69, very good. Places him 63rd out of 2001 cornerback prospects from 1987 to 2002. So out of a couple of grand quarterbacks, he's 63rd overall in terms of his athletic profile. Excellent, well-rounded athletic profile. Um, agility and explosion are elite, and we're going to see that through a bunch of these plays, specifically at his size. He had a six, six, seven, three cone, which means his change of direction ability is excellent. And it came into play on the field this week and saved a touchdown in one case. So we're going to see that it's always cool when you get to see testing translate to the field. Um, and we got to see it really directly. 
Um, his production for this game, he was the third highest rookie cornerback graded this week. Only Tariq Woolen, who was the defensive player of the week, and Sauce Gardner were higher. Sauce Gardner's, uh, those two guys are in the early running for defensive rookie of the year for sure. So that's an excellent place to be. Really good company. Allowed just 13 yards passing in this game. That's been one of his struggles um, in previous games is that he has allowed some big completions and a bunch of them. Um, had a couple of TD saving tackles in this game. We're going to talk about those, but there's one that I am absolutely certain would have been a touchdown. There's another one that probably would have been a touchdown. So, and our good buddy, Jonathan Wood, always cool when we can bring Jay Wood into the show. Uh, he posted this after giving up 2.9 yards, uh, per coverage snap in the first month of the season, which is pretty high. Kyler Gordon has only given up one yard per coverage snap in the last two weeks. So props to him for turning it around. Hopefully it's a trend that can, can continue. That's what Jonathan Wood said about him. And I feel the same way. We're start. I feel like we're starting to see the light come on. That stat indicates, hey, it was three yards a snap per coverage snap, and now it's one. Okay, that's that's going in the right direction. And that's, I think, more representative of his ability uh, as a player. So, all right, as always. It helps, helps to play Carson Wentz. It does help to play Carson Wentz. However... Uh, I think it helps to play Carson Wentz even more in the slot because the commanders don't run a lot deep from the slot. There is one notable exception in here. They tend to run their deeper routes on the outside where Carson Wentz will take shots and he will hit them. Like that's the ball that Carson Wentz can still hit. Um, we were talking about this on the live stream is that what he doesn't hit is the underneath stuff, the timing stuff, the stuff that you've considered like gimmies for a quarterback. He's all over the place on that stuff. But all of a sudden, like, Zeus is Thunderbolt out of the blue, 25 yards, pinpoint accuracy in the, in the cover two hole downfield. Like he can hit that ball. So, um, not a, it's a, he's a weird quarterback to play, I think, as a defender, but he's got that ability. So, uh, first quarter, um, going to skip ahead. Interestingly, in the first quarter, they played him exclusively in the slot. This has been a back and forth game with the Bears, uh, all year they have given him both nickel or slot responsibilities and then played him an outside corner as well and i think that's a heavy load we've talked about the, that on this show previously um interestingly in this game they played him exclusively in the slot for the first quarter and whenever they went to base four three base they played kindle builder as the outside corner which was really interesting. And I'm not sure why that is, but it was a fact for the first quarter. And then second quarter started to get back to that pattern where if they were in nickel, he would play slot. And when they would go to a two cornerback setup, he would slide to the outside, which was more what we've seen for the rest of the season. Just an interesting little sort of first quarter. Don't know if it was getting his legs under him or they thought Kindle was going to tackle better on the outside. I'm not sure which, but um he plays well against the run, which is interesting. And it's one of the things that uh, endeared him to me pre-draft. It's guys that don't tackle, guys that won't set the edge, um, guys that won't do the dirty work as a corner. I, I just don't want him on the Bears. Like, it's it's a, I believe the Bears defense, no matter whether it's Lovey's defense or, you know, was DeSai's defense or now it's Allen Williams' defense. Like, you need to have corners who can at least force runners back inside. Corners who get on blocks and don't get off. I don't really have any use for them. I don't care how good they are against the pass. You got to support that piece or else offenses get big free gains on the outside. Um, uh, 45 seconds left in the first quarter. He lines up in the nickel. He gets outside his block 
tackle on the edge run. Like he is good enough to do that. He's good enough to pressure, especially a wide receiver lined up against him. We'll talk about tight ends in a little bit, but get off that block and limit those gains. He did a great job of that. He did that over and over again uh, in this particular game. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead to the second quarter because this is where it starts to get really fun. 916 left in the second quarter. He undercuts a running back flare route. And this is a beautiful, gorgeous play. Uh, lined up in the slot over the tight end. So he almost looks like a linebacker in this alignment. He's lined up right next to Roquan Amaro. Um, very tight, right up over the tight end. Um, he shifts right because they go a lot of pre-snap motion in the commander's office. You saw this, uh, both pre-snap and during snap motion during the snap. They use that on almost every play. So wide receiver motion tries to pull him and he's like steps to the inside, but he doesn't go, Hey, I'm going to go with that, which is what the offense wants him to do. So he has responsibility for the running back running back flares out to the right in the flat. Kyler accelerates because again, he kept his base position. He's got that change of direction, that acceleration um, beautifully undercuts the route, knocks it away with his right hand. Um, this is a textbook play. Like if you could roll up to any, you know, high school college and say, Hey, teach tape for taking on a running back flare from an inside alignment. Like here it is. This is what you need to do. Um, just a great, great play. Very next play. Commanders try and run roughly the same route, but they do it with the tight end Cole Turner. Um, they do it from a different alignment, but it ends up being the same route, little flare out into the right flat. He's again lined up over the tight tight end. This time the tight end runs a route. He goes with him. This is one of Gordon's real strengths is he's got the versatility to cover a back, to cover a tight end, to cover Curtis Samuel out of the slot, which he did, did all game. Players like that aren't that common in the NFL. Corners with size who can take on a guy that's 245, like Cole Turner, who can take on a guy that's 185 and runs a 4-4, like Curtis Samuel. Or who can take on Brian Robinson, who's like all of 6'2 and 228 pounds, and win against all three of them. That's why the Bears drafted Kyler Gordon, is because they really don't have to switch out for multiple offensive sets. Yeah, if you're going to line up in ultra heavy, you're probably going to pull him and put a linebacker in. But other than that, he can stay on the field. He can play nickel. He can play dime. He can be the dime backer, play around the line of scrimmage. You can play him out wide. He's a very, very versatile player, which is super cool. Very next play, Cole Turner, who's a tight end I liked out of Nevada, runs the flat route. Gordon is quick to close the distance. He's not there to, to bat the throw away. What he does is wrap Cole Turner's waist and just throw himself to the inside and pull him down. And you might say, oh, it's not, you know. That's a really good tackle because he gives up six inches and 45 pounds to Cole Turner. Yeah, And Turner got about one yard on this play no yards after the catch no run after the catch like it was a flat throw and if he breaks that tackle he's picking up six or seven before he gets hit by the next corner or the safety coming over instead he gets literally one yard it's basically a zeroed out play for the offense so with those two plays in a row batting throw away on first down tackling the, the tight end for one yard on second down he pretty much kills the series all by himself like now they're in third and long they're behind the sticks defense can relax a little bit basically let catches happen in front of them and play forward. Great, great job by Kyler Gordon really early in the game. Uh, second quarter, uh, 156 left. This is the phantom PI call. 
And I want to bring this up because this is this is this is a bummer. Uh, sometimes it's going to happen. Uh, I wanted to break it down. It's actually a great play by Gordon. Shouldn't have been a flag. Period. End of story. But we'll talk about why. So the commanders show trips to the field. We've talked about this before. Trips is three wide receivers. The field side is you're on the hash closest to the boundary. That's boundary side. The open or wide side of the field is the field side. So trips to the field, three wide receivers out to the wide side of the field. Gordon takes the innermost wide receiver who's lined up in the tight slot just off, just outside the offensive tackle. He plays press off the line. He gets his hand on. He matches phase beautifully and drops into what's called trail technique, which is basically running behind the receiver between the receiver and the quarterback. This is a plan. This is not, he got beat to be there. Um, and he's doing it on a bit of a tightrope because the offense is running a seven route, which is a corner route. So uh, I believe it's Curtis Samuel. Uh, yep, it is Curtis Samuel goes up and he's basically breaking to the boundary and Gordon's playing underneath him and he doesn't really have over the top help to the outside. If it was to the middle, there would be a safety there, but he's on his own. This is a one on one coverage pretty much at the break. He's there beautifully. He's right there. He has his head around and he makes contact with the ball first. Like there is some contact between wide receiver and defensive back here, but Gordon has every right to that ball. And he basically runs the route better than Samuel does. And the refs get sad about it and they throw a flag. <laughs> that's, that's the end all be all is he's in position to quite frankly, make the catch. Samuel's behind him trying to reach up and over. There's no reason Gordon hasn't pushed him to get there. He's not tripping him. He's not holding his jersey like his arm is engaged, but he is back around trying actually to turn this shoulder. And if Samuel had let him turn that shoulder, he would have had both hands and caught that ball because he was in perfect position. Refs throw a flag. It ends up being defensive pass interference. This is a great play by Kyler Gordon. It is perfect. He runs around better than receiver should have been a pick instead gets a flag. It happens sometimes, especially these days in the NFL. Don't get down on Kyler Gordon about this play. This is a very, very good play by a defensive back. I know we're talking about Gordon, but Jalen Johnson had a defensive pass interference as well that looked like absolute total Perf BS. Perfection. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, I, I uh, for those of you at home, I yelled at the line judge for you. He was very close, you know, he's obviously on the line, you know, so he's my, you know, 15 yards away. And I yelled, what the hell are you looking at? Yeah. What did you possibly see there? So, I don't know. I feel like he heard me. I, was close I, I feel like he heard me. Yeah, I was oh, close that's, anyway, sorry. Go that's on. Great. No, it's great. Um, I want to talk about a play where Kyler Gordon wasn't super involved that folks saw and maybe breathed a sigh of relief because I looked at it and then I looked at it again and I was pretty sure what the offense was doing i was pretty sure what the defense was doing but just i i phoned a lifeline i, I dm brett and i said hey brett do you have a second like you're better at diagramming coverages than i am i want you to look at this coverage and tell me if what i think i'm seeing is what i'm seeing because if that's the case it's really interesting and so he hopped on a call with me for a second he's like nope you saw it the right way and i was like okay it's really interesting this is quarter two 141 left Bears start off in cover three, which looks like cover one or man with a linebacker in a hook zone. So they basically started man and they rotate really quickly to a Bears classic staple cover two. 
everybody that watched the Bears and Brian Urlacher's era with Lovey Smith is really familiar with cover, cover two. Safety split wide in the back, and the, the crux move of cover two is that the middle linebacker has to carry the seam route. He, he drops into that deep middle zone. That's cover two in a nutshell. Safety split wide in zone. Look for, you know, cover, corners play short. And there's a little hole between that everybody knows about. It's called the hole shot hole or the cover two hole in between the corner and the safety on the sides. And then the linebackers got to carry that seam ball. That's how it works. If it doesn't work, it breaks. Brian so, Lurlacher, obviously very famous in that defense because he was very good at carrying that seam route. And strangely enough, the Bears have a converted safety who now plays linebacker, Nicholas Morrow, uh, whose responsibility it was once they rotated to cover two to cover the seam route, which is the one that runs, looks like right by Kyler Gordon. So if you're looking at this play in real time, you might have gone, oh, Kyler let his guy go. No, Kyler's responsible for the short hook zone or the stick zone at about 15 yards, and it's Morrow's job. And Morrow kind of like doesn't accelerate for the first three steps. He gets sort of over to the lane, but he sort of, I don't want to say he loafs. He just runs at not top speed, which if you got Curtis Samuel coming up the seam, like you got, you got turn and run. Like that's, that's teach technique for cover two as a middle linebacker. If you got that guy going, you turn and run and he doesn't do it right away. So he ends up in trail technique, but not the good kind. The I'm trailing <laughs> technique because the guy right. ran by me. And the cool thing about this play is the defense played it pretty well correctly with the exception of Morrow not sort of turning and sprinting. The rest of the defensive backs are in good position for cover two. And at one point in the play, all five receivers for Washington are open. <laughs> and it's just something that happens in football sometimes. And everybody thinks there, there must be a perfect solution for either the offense or the defense on every play. And the answer is sometimes there isn't, you call a good defense offense calls a good offensive play against it. And like they both execute. And this is one of those times. So they run, uh, an old Bruce Arian staple called nine, eight, nine, which looks a little bit like three verts, the two wide receivers on the outside go vert, Middle receiver, which is Curtis Samuel, the guy we're talking about with Morrow, has basically a middle read. And if he gets inside leverage, he runs it straight up the hash so that he keeps his leverage. If he gets somebody with outside leverage taking him, he runs like a skinny post. He bends it off towards the middle. Um, and throughout this, like, again, bears drop into cover two. The guy going up the left boundary is open in the cover two hole first, and Wentz can hit that shot. The guy going up the right boundary could have been when he released it an equally fine throw because the receiver is passing the defensive back just as that occurs. So it probably would have been a play at the goal line. Eddie would have, Eddie was the deep safety on that side. He would have had to make a pretty tough turn with Wentz's ability to hit that corner. So that route was open and the throw and it's the correct one. Wentz takes is the middle Curtis Samuel gets by Morrow and it's basically man coverage splitting the safeties. That's the throw you take because it's six. If he hits it, and he misses him by about three inches. I don't like, even know, man. I think it was a drop because that was right in front of it, me. It hit I his hand. I, it it hit his hands. He's leaping. It would have been a tough catch. Wentz makes a good. The Bears dodged a bullet here. It yep. was a well defense. Morrow was a couple steps late to Samuel. The rest of the defensive backs are in great position. But honestly, Wentz could have gone left early to the cover two hole. He could have thrown middle or right. Both of those probably would have been like goal line plays, touchdowns, bang, bang. 
And then both guys come open on the little flare flats, which uh, Cole Turner runs a basically chip leak. He, he hits it and just goes out. And both those guys are wide open. They're not going anywhere. But at one point, all five Washington wide receivers are open and the defense was called correctly and played almost correctly without Morrow's quick step. So it's just one of those fascinating plays where it's like, it looks like, oh man, he just ran. Mm. And Wentz missed it by a hair because he can hit that throw and the, the Bears dodged a bullet on that one. So fascinating little game within a game, pre-snap rotation, how'd the coverage work, how'd the offense run against it and missed it by that much. So uh, quarter three, uh, I'm going to skip to Wide run contain. Again, Gordon's really good at this. Uh, commanders run a fake um, to the left, and then they sweep wide right with a wide receiver. Gordon sees this and goes, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I got to get out there. Like, all I got to do is get out there because I got to turn the guy back inside. And he does that. He gets off his block, and he gets to the outside and basically flashes his jersey and goes, boo, you can't go this way. Right. You're going to have to run a bubble around me and that's not going to work. So he cuts in the running back cuts inside. They get like a five yard game, but he basically forced him back in to all the defenders. He did his job and he's willing to do that kind of dirty work. And he has the both recognition and that quick acceleration to go. I got to be outside on this. Like, I don't need to stop him. I know what I need to do. I got to be over there. That's great recognition. Ends up a modest gain for the offense. He did his job. Uh, we talked about defensive backs that can't get off blocks. Quarter three, 331. This starts a really dominant run of Kyler Gordon against the run in about a three minute period at the end of the third quarter. Um, he makes play after play, and all of them are pretty big. So, 331, it starts with a spinning run stop. Commanders use motion to identify coverage. Again, talked about this. They do this all the time. Gordon follows from the offenses right to left. He's got slot coverage on Cam Sims. Commanders run from the shotgun. It's basically an off tackle left run right through Gordon's gap. They basically brought him over there with motion from Sims using Cam Sims, who is a huge wide receiver. And they think, okay, we've got an advantage. We've got our huge wide receiver on their defensive back. We're going to run off tackle to his side. Sims is going to isolate Gordon. We're going to get a gain here. That's what the offense is thinking. Pretty good job, except for Kyler Gordon spins back inside off Sims' block in perfect time to make the tackle in that gap. Um, Morrow, who was the linebacker on that side, got ridden out by Charles Leno. Good old Charles Leno uh, basically took Morrow's momentum and shoved him to the outside. So the running backs got a free shot at that point. Gordon spins off Sims's block. He's right there, takes his legs. Really good stop. Very textbook play. If, again, if he was one of those corners that couldn't get off the block, that play probably goes for a lot more, like 12 to 15 more. So it wouldn't have been a few yards. Um, next play. 255. This is a touchdown saver. In my opinion, this is a touchdown saver. So Gordon's in the slot to the offensive left. Washington runs this basically everything right look. They they take the tight end on that side and they hook him across. They're trying to drag everybody to the right. The, the play action is to the right. The running backs go to the right. Everybody goes to the right, except they're leaking out to the screen for a left. Gordon could have followed all that action, but he actually just kind of hangs out in space and he looks a little unsure of it for just a second. He's like, man, should I go? And then he realizes if I go like there's nobody over here, like it's an entire third of the field with no defenders. So he just kind of he starts moving to the middle, but he doesn't go very far. And then he sees it. 
He sees at the snap. He sees basically a little play action fake in the pirouette, which is going to turn into the screen throw. And at that point, he's backpedaling and he triggers. And his trigger from backpedal to going is fast enough that he runs directly under Charles Leno's block. There are three offensive linemen and Brian Robinson and Kyler Gordon. That's the setup for the play. If any one of them gets a hand on him, they all outweigh him by 100 pounds. It's over. Brian Robinson literally walks into the end zone. And Kyler Gordon triggers, gets under Leno's block to the outside, and then, because he kind of had to loop to get around Leno, just stops and 90-degree shoots into Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson takes a big hit. He spins, slows him down enough, and Morrow hits him right after that. If Gordon doesn't make that play, that is a pure touchdown. I've got a still shot that I sent to JB in the agenda, which is from the sky cam behind. And all you can see is three 300-pound guys, Brian Robinson and Kyler Gordon standing in front of that little phalanx, made the play. Touchdown saver, period. Super duper impressive play. Um, hmm. Then Washington runs this play that they run three times throughout the game. They ran it once in the first quarter. This is a tiny little pet peeve, minuscule pet peeve. They run this whip motion, which means they start the motion to one side, they get them over there, and then they run them back, and then they run through where they vacated in the middle. And they ran it in the first quarter, and I don't expect him to, to stop it. Maybe he picks it up on film. Maybe they haven't run it before. I don't know enough about the commander's offense to say that's a tendency, but they did run this exact play in the first quarter. They run it again in the third quarter and they get him again. Like Gordon has to follow that guy. But again, he follows him sort of to the letter and they get a gain. And I'm, you know, the bears stop him. The other side of the defense works. So it's not a huge deal, but I'm like, Kyler, at very least, you should have been calling this out. You should have been like in the hole, in the hole. Like they're coming back. I've seen this before. That's a lot to ask from a rookie defensive back. I get it, which is why this is a minuscule pet peeve comes into play again at the end of the game. So this is, <laughs> what we call foreshadowing um third quarter again we're still in the third quarter last couple of minutes he makes dominant play after dominant play 47 seconds left i'm calling this one panic at the disco balls on the chicago 10 tight set washington again runs motion right to left at the snap this is a theme kyler follows the motion man and it ends up being curtis samuel and he gets a tap pass quick hike wentz gives him a little tap pass he gets out again. Other folks have set the edge. He has to cut back. Kyler's waiting for him, makes the play. They get a few yards, but they don't get a touchdown. Really solid play. The reason the panic part is as he was leaving that left edge of the defense, there was a little bit of, uh, who goes with him and builder. And I think Kyler's right. I think he as a slot defender is basically says to builder, like you're the outside guy, but builder doesn't know that. So they both start to go, which would have left the, the tight end on that side wide open but you can see kyler like no i got it and he keeps running and goes over and makes a tackle so i think again this sort of lends to credibility that kyler knows where he's supposed to be knows his responsibility and he's like no that's my guy i'm going with him um makes the tackle would have been a touchdown again and then next play 31 seconds this is the qb run stop uh balls on the chicago seven after that run another tight set more pre-snap motion Gordon gets wise this time and he lays off the motion. He's like, they've been pulling me out of position all night long. I'm going to sort of soft play my trail on this. I'm going to not go as far as they want me to. Um, and it's a really good thing too, because Wentz rolls out with a lead blocker who is Cole Turner and Cole Turner takes out the linebacker. So it's Wentz on Gordon and Wentz is a big guy. He can run. 
Gordon makes a stop. Like, again, second play in a row, he's basically stopped a touchdown. It's a one-yard gain. Quick trigger, good tackle. So that whole, like, three-minute, that all happened within, like, three minutes at the end of the third quarter. That's Kyler Gordon just sort of dominating from the quarterback position, which is not yeah. something you see very often. That's that is a good, smart, physical football player making a bunch of plays that would have put the Bears in the hole. I don't think casual fans see most all that. I certainly didn't see it all, even though we were live streaming the game because you're concentrating on other things. And you're not sure who's making the tackle every time going back. Like he took over the game for like a three minute section and made every play he needed to make. That's just really impressive for a rookie corner. I mean, it's an impressive for any player, right? I mean, to be able to take over a game like that and, and given the, let's just call it a rocky start to, you know, to, to his, to his career, to his season. Uh, it's great to see that. Actually, there was a little bit of sense that like, man, Gordon's playing pretty well. Yeah. Like, you know, when, when we're in the stands, like there's just, there's enough of that where you're like, hey, he's playing pretty well. Is it really? Yeah. They named, they called him again. That's, yeah, that's his number. Right. Okay, okay. Cool. Cause you know, he's six and Brisker's nine and you know, Eddie's four and there's a lot of single digits running around back there. They're all roughly the same size. Um, you know, Vilder's a little bit shorter squatter. He has a double digit number. So you can kind of see him when he's in there, but like you, you can pretty easily, even on tape, I had to go back a couple times. And, okay. Is that Brisker? Oh, mm -mm. and that's pretty cool in the fourth quarter. He takes on Leno in the run game. He knows he's lined up tight again in the slot. And here comes Charles Leno. He's like, this is a run. And he gets into Charles Leno and he moves him two yards. Like he knows he's not going to make the tackle. But he basically has to set the edge by pushing Charles Leno out so somebody else can. And not a lot of corners in the NFL will do that. And Gordon fires right into Leno's chest, pushes him two yards. Again, doesn't make the tackle. It's not his job to. He basically has to stuff that end of the lineup. Brian Robinson goes, oh, crap, that's collapsing, and just goes back into the pursuit. It's all he has to do. But again, he gives up like 100 pounds to Leno. More. More than and, yeah. you know, you don't see corners do that. And right after the muff punt, this is a quick change situation. Muff punt, we could talk about later. We will. Again, he gets a solo run stop that saves the TD. Um, balls on the Chicago six. Washington tries a middle run that gets stuffed. Brian Robinson pops out. And this is the one where Carson Wentz throws a block on Roquan. So Carson Wentz rolls with him. It's Robinson and Wentz. It's Roquan and Gordon. Wentz levels Roquan, which is interesting enough. So it's one-on-one, Brian Robinson and Kyler Gordon. And Robinson outweighs Gordon by 34 pounds. He's a big dude. He's like 6'2", 228. And Gordon gets him down. Like, he doesn't score. This is the kind of impact. You don't. a lot of people are like, oh, he didn't have a lot of great pass coverage. And after the first half, he didn't. He They didn't throw at him a lot. His coverage was good in the few coverage reps he had. But he was dominant in the run game. He was smart. He was physical. He saved touchdowns in this game. So just, just a great, great game by Kyler Gordon and my, my last little foreshadowing bit. Fourth quarter, Washington's trying to run the clock out. This has nothing to do with Kyler Gordon. 216 left in the fourth. Guess what they run? That stupid little whip run play, right? Backwards, forwards, backwards again. And Robinson almost breaks it for a score. Like he stepped out of a tackle. If he was a, you know, hadn't gotten shot, 
couple of months ago and was just a little bit faster. <laughs> what a crazy story, by the way. He might go 60 yards for a touchdown to like completely seal this game. And I'm like, that's the third time they've run that play. And it almost worked. They almost got it over on you. And at that point, you know, you got to have folks on defense who are identical. It is a young defense, but you got to have folks going, oh, whip motion. Hey, they're coming off the weak corner right here. Just, just don't leave. Just sit right there. And even if they do something else, that's fine. We pushed them away from their from their you know lead right, let, make them run the counter off of this yeah, yeah whatever but i was like i got to the end and i was like i ran it again and he was he was a hair's breadth from going 60 yards for a touchdown which would have been like more demoralizing the end of this game was pretty demoralizing anyway it was but pretty demoralizing overall impact for for kyler gordon not a ton of coverage snaps later on like we talked about looked very solid in the ones he had was quick decisive and extremely tough throughout this game played a very physical game saved at least two scores from happening in the run game maybe three depending on how you look at the replay um it's starting to click for him like i thought it would pre-draft and i'm excited to see his future unfold with the bears because you saw the sort of full range the full gamut of what he can do for a defense and i just think the arrow is pointing way way up for kyler gordon yeah i think that they put a lot on him early and, they did. and I think it's super common for corners to struggle as, as rookies anyway. So you add that in, you add a lot of moving pieces, you add Jalen Johnson getting hurt early, missing a couple of games. So you had even more moving pieces. So, I mean, it, I don't think it's surprising that Gordon struggled early and they, you know, he was targeted and, and you could tell it was getting to him, right? Like, I mean, he had a couple of first, rough first games, but, uh, this is why he was the first pick of this administration is that he's this regime is that he's, he's a talented football player. He's a super great athlete and you know, you, you can see it starting to click. And like you say, sometimes it's just more in the run game, but that's great. Like they needed it. The Bears needed him to make those plays. And he did. Uh, if he, if he's not making those plays, this, this game actually might've been getting, it might've got out of hand. Yeah. And you saw him make plays again against, Brian Robinson, that deflection was textbook. You saw him make plays against Cole Turner. You saw him make plays against Carson Wentz, a big running quarterback. You saw him make plays against Curtis Samuel and Cam Sims in the past game. You made plays against all those guys. That's a very wide range of athletes in the NFL with lots of different skill sets and, and things to be leveraged against you as a defender. And he basically snuffed all of them at one time or another in this game, some of them multiple times. That's super encouraging it's not like oh well if this one guy comes out we want you on him it's like hey stay out there and you can take any one of these three guys and we feel pretty good about it well i i would assume that your sort of final judgment on this game was good game but also we'll look at gordon again down the line but i mean the arrow's pointing up like this is this is a player that we think is pretty good and it's two in a row um, yeah, again, yeah. he had multiple games where there were multiple struggles. Again, some, sometimes he was good against the run and, and not great against the pass. Other times he had really good pass reps and then really bad pass reps, almost back to back. And that makes it, that's just that up and down adjustment that you talked about. They were running him at two positions. One of the hardest positions to learn as a rookie is nickel. Um, and I, I just don't, I think he was finding his footing quite frankly in, in you know, inside the team, inside the defense inside the league, all those things. And now two weeks in a row, we're starting to see, you know, you would call this normalization to a mean if you were looking at data, 
right? This is, we're getting closer to what we thought was what we were getting. And I think that's the case is, is some people say it's slowing down. He's definitely mentally sharp. You could see multiple times in this game where he was like, I know what's going to happen here. We're, you know, in the early games, he was just kind of running around like, where am I supposed to be? And okay, I'm supposed to be here. But then a team like this, like this is a stressful team to play considering their offensive design. They use a ton of pre-snap motion and a ton of during snap motion. And the whole point of that is to take a defensive back like Gordon and get you out of whatever leverage you had, right? It's not only to move you from one side to another, but if you're lined up like inside and they, they're trying to run a slant, they want you to be somewhere besides inside. So they move you around and then you don't get set that way. And it gives them an advantage. So there's a lot to be processing dynamically here. And he handled all of it. Well, good stuff. I appreciate that. I thought it was a really good choice by you to to take Gordon here because it did seem like he had a pretty good game. And I'm, I'm happy that you were able to take the time to review that. Great notes. Even There's even more stuff that I got to see that the rest of you didn't. But uh, maybe one of these days we'll share that with you. But we, we've, we've already had... We should- I actually had a thought today. I'll run it by you in live time, which is always dangerous. We always should just dangerous. we should just post that for the Patreon folks. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll just super easy to do. We just save it as a PDF and we just post it. And if you're a Patreon member, you get to see the full notes because that's like JB said. I skipped the whole first quarter and there's notes for the first quarter. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, um, let yeah, us I think, know. I think and... we post the notes on Patreon. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do that. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk about our drinks um, before we get out of here. I mean, I don't really need to review an Irish coffee. Uh, EJ has done the Irish coffee on the show many, many times. But I will say, I mean, first of all, Red Breast is a good Irish whiskey. I just I, it, I was this close. To, have you had the LaSalle? No. Okay. So Red Breast LaSalle is uh, brewed in a distilled in a different way. It's uh, one up from that okay uh, in their lineup and i almost there's a bottle of it sitting at coleman's house because i i made him buy it when we when i was down there a few times ago so when i go down i always have some but i was at the store last night and i saw it and i was like it's not that much it's like uh you know it's an expensive bottle but it's like 65 bucks it's not like a crazy expensive bottle yeah that's not very expensive to me but no <laughs> anymore <it's not. laughs> no, i mean if you're talking about you know your average bottle of yeah you know, no, no. especially with her like, irish yeah yeah i mean like black barrel which is my favorite jameson one i picked up last night uh little bottle or regular bottle was 38 big bottle was like 52 or 56 and you know red Rose LaSalle is another step above that it's another 20 25 sure. bucks up after tax and but it's it's gorgeous it's really good uh all i'll say is the Buffalo Trace bourbon cream starting to it's starting to show up on the shelves a little bit more frequently. This used yeah. to be super tough to find. Yeah. Uh it's a it's a it's a better replacement to Bailey's, in my opinion. Um uh, just because it just... I'm I'm excited by that, like for multiple reasons, not just for Irish coffees. I saw that and I was like, uh, oh, because I, you know, we have some Bailey's around, but like that to me sounds delightful. And I like Bailey's. I'm not a like a Bailey's killer. But this this is a you said the same thing about Borum. I like Borum. I'm just giving you a hard time. I like Borum. I like Bailey's. But you know, all the bees, bears, and Bailey's, cut above. So if you see it on the shelf and you're like, I don't know, get it. Uh, it. Looks that looks delicious. I think I'm going to have to put it on my list because it will be popular for holiday drinks around here. I'm sure. Your beer, Uh, delightful. Um, 
I really browns can be a really wide range from like super sweet and malty and almost too sticky for the palate to um, the smokier side, a um, little bit thinner, almost an ale kind of quality to them. This one has a little bit of that off the lead. Like there is a there's a deeper kind of character. It's not quite smoky. It's still on the sweeter side. But again, not being super heavy on the alcohol, not even six percent. Like it's pretty drinkable and it definitely balances any of that sort of. um you know, less sweet start out with a little bit of malt on the back end. Um, but it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's really well balanced. I love it. It's easy to drink. It's delicious. I haven't had it in a long time. So it, it just off the first sip, I was like, ah, oh, I remember why I like this stuff. This is really, it's well put together. It's a lot of fun. And I love Browns, one of my all time favorite styles and one you don't see that often anymore. So I'm super lucky to be able to have two of them today. Awesome. Uh, projects i'm gonna actually pitch something that's very different uh to you guys oh yeah i'm a uh you know i i was a clean water professional for 13 years ran a clean water act program for the state of iowa uh i no longer do that i'm you know out of my own i'm doing different things but i do have a a contract to develop a clean water podcast for the epa and so um the first episode dropped it would be one episode a month uh, for about eight episodes this season and you know the, the contracts for five years so i've got this nice little podcast that we're doing i'm very excited about the first episode the 50th anniversary of the clean water act was yesterday we were able to get that out yesterday uh to coincide with that fun little episode just a big overview of of what the clean water act is and does and uh, has uh, you know the potential to do uh, interviewed a couple of people that were very meaningful in my career and so Check that out. It's called the Clean Water Pod. If you if you're on my Twitter, yeah, I have a I have a post about it. Uh, Clean Water Pod is a I have a Twitter account for it too. There's like four followers, Ooh, so you know, fancy. If you want to be, be early? Uh, you know, there there is that, and we will be getting it onto all of the uh, you know the the iTunes and Podcast Attic, and I think they're it's on a couple and a couple that's not yet. It just takes time for it to pick all that stuff up, but. Um, would uh, be honored if you would consider subscribing to it or at least checking out the first episode, seeing if you like it. Very different than football, but, you know, I think everybody has at least some identity with wanting clean water. So might be something that interests you folks. Appreciate it if you consider checking it out. What do you got going on? I do not have a clean water pod, and now I feel insufficient. No, I I love uh, that you're, you're doing it. I had no idea it was for five years. That's really cool. Um, that's something you're going to be able to get to develop as you as you go on with it which will be really really fun um thursday night football live stream as usual over on the bootleg youtube channel we will kick off 30 minutes before kickoff cardinals saints this week eh, has the potential to be chaotic not necessarily great sure. uh that's that's the best we're gonna pitch this week is chaotic not great um join us for special offers from prize picks and to see our prize pick slip before the game we always fill one out both before the game and at halftime in case we're losing terribly um but coleman's on a pretty good streak he has not lost one yet so if you uh if you get three out of five right they will match your slip so you don't lose any money if you get four out of five they'll pay you at a lower rate if you get five out of five it's up to a 10 times payout on your initial deal so pretty darn cool with prize picks really happy they're supporting us this year but that's the first thing and then bootleg pod comes out every week this week 
bump rum drum roll please we hit a tuesday release date for the first time since oh i think maybe week one uh that was a herculean effort it was a big pod but uh, we want to get it out a little bit earlier to everybody so that was a moment of celebration and then followed by a nap because it was lots of late nights and early mornings well good stuff we'll be tuning into that i'm excited for deandre hopkins to come back to football because well my fantasy team would like to well have, have his services. My fantasy team. That's actually uh, not to spoil my not to spoil my article coming out tomorrow on betting how to bet the Thursday night football oh. game. But you know, I do mention that Kyler is excited about getting DeAndre Hopkins back, as I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury is, and then me. And I don't know which of the three of us has more at stake. That's open to interpretation, but you know, it's uh, somebody, some one of the three of us. Has, you're. Has you're- you're either number one or number two, uh, because you know, Cliff's money is guaranteed. <laughs> well, ain't that the truth, right? Yeah, it, he, that money spends whatever way you go, but uh, now appreciate it. We're, we'll stick around here for a few questions before we get out of here for the night for the YouTube crowd. But for those of you that are listening, really appreciate it. Till next time, bear down. Bye.